have a great show lined up for you today, and it's a sensitive subject. We're going to talk about mental health, mental illness in the world of aviation and specifically the pilot profession where mental health is already stigmatized, but possibly even more in the pilot profession where one has to hang on to an FAA medical and anything that seems slightly curious could wreck a career. I'm bringing on a therapist. You're going to want to stay tuned to hear more. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your best life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades and can't imagine any other lifestyle. On the show, you'll hear stories, experiences, tips, advice, interviews with other pilot wives, pilots, aviation professionals, non-revving and travel experts also on this journey. Yes, it's a mixed bag of goods, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion, a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife Life. Well, welcome back to the show. And as I mentioned, I'm thrilled to bring a therapist, Cora Cresson, to our show. And just as a disclaimer, um, I'm not a medical professional, but Cora is. And so these reflect the views and opinions and experience of her um, and not necessarily my own. So just keep that in mind. So, but again, Cora Cresson, she's a flight deck therapist. Her mission is to make mental health care accessible to pilots. She's specially trained to work with men and has been in the field for almost five years. She founded Compass Counseling Center located in Oregon. So welcome, Cora. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. It's great to have you on the show. So before we dive into all of that that I just shared and your background and experience and all of that, tell us a little bit about your background before that, uh, where you're from originally. Just give us the deets on all that. For sure. Um, so I'll start with, um, I was born and raised in Salem, Oregon. Um, I've lived in the Portland metro area going on eight years now. Um, I hold a bachelor's and a master's degree. I'm currently um, in school getting my second master's uh, right now. As far as my um, experience, like I said, I've worked predominantly with men, um, training under two colleagues, one that specializes in PTSD and autism and psychopathy, actually, um, and the other one that's more of, you know, um, on the ground social worker type person. I also have a medical doctor and a PsyD who are my clinical supervisors as well, and I feel very fortunate um, to have access to that knowledge. That is great. So just a quick question. Why is it that you primarily work with men? Great question. Um, So I guess it's twofold. Um, I first started out working within the criminal justice system for folks that were convicted of person to person crimes. And those were my clients and mostly men. So I as I started working with them, I saw there was a huge gap in research and practicum specifically geared um, towards men. There's a lot of like really awesome psychologists that are women and I totally look up to them. 
Um, but sometimes the information geared and written by women doesn't always transfer over very well um, when you're working with male clients. So it's been kind of my mission to learn how I can serve men and women, of course, um, better. But I did notice there was a disparity in um, mental health care specifically for men. And I think that led to a lot of um, frustration from my clients that I was seeing where they try and go get help and it was worse or they had a really bad experience. So that's kind of the gap I was trying to close before I found um, the pilot situation. Interesting. I love that. And, and, you know, even in asking the question, it's not a right or wrong, it's just a curiosity Um, and that it makes perfect sense. Um, In fact, it makes a lot of sense just thinking about that because I think typically, and I'm saying, I think, because I don't have a background in this, that I think that women, we talk more, we express our emotions more. We have you know, our tribe and group where we, we do share more about that. And so we're probably more likely um, to seek help. Yeah, definitely. And the help we seek is also conditioned like us. There's more female therapists right now practicing than men. And, you know, that works really well for, you know, most women. And so of course, like, let's share the wealth that we have. Um, But sometimes we just got to like, turn it our little angle a little bit and um, put that same energy to uh, be a little more specific for men. Awesome. I love that. So now shifting to aviation, um, you you kind of gave us a little bit of an introduction in your experience before. I know that you're a partner to a pilot, Cole. Um, So talk to us a little bit about that experience and how that brought you into aviation and then expanded your career with it. Definitely. So first of all, um, I met Cole when I was getting my first master's degree. I was actually going to the airport. My friend worked at Blue Star Donuts, rest in peace at PDX. And um, we had this thing where if I had a bunch of reading, I'd take the train there and he'd give me like a couple dozen donuts. And like the joke was like burden me with like donuts because I'm one person. I can't eat a dozen of these super intricate donuts. So while I was waiting, um, talking to Justin while he was getting me my donuts, Cole got in line. Um, at the donut place and me having just received, you know, a pound of sugar in a box. I was like, you don't have to pay $4 for your donuts. I have these donuts for free. Um, And then we just kind of started talking. I mean, obviously Justin had to like go back to slinging his donuts. uh, And then it just felt really natural talking to Cole. We swapped, um, you know, social media information. Lo and behold, we talked for about a week before realizing we grew up down basically the street from each other. Um, went to the same elementary, middle school, and high school, and he was like best friends with my cousin. So we met in a different city away from where we both grew up and then figured out that our parents even still live kind of down the same road from each other. So that is how we met and then re-met, I guess, because um, I'd been to his house many times before with my cousin. And so... Interesting. Wow. That's a great story. I love it. And just kind of um, going back just a little bit, it's kind of funny that you met over free donuts, because if you're not aware of this yet, there's a big joke about pilots being cheap. And it's kind of like, what's the, well, what's the pilot discount and what free donuts? Of course I'm going to sign up. So just kind of yeah. a little bit of humor there. <laughs> I mean, who would say no to like free bougie donuts? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So what was it that got you interested in the mental health field? in general, just period. Okay. So in general, if I understand like away from aviation, um, I kind of more started actually within the criminal justice system. Um, I guess 
I'll be a little personal here. I was a victim and I went through the criminal justice system um, and I got exposed to a lot of it and I saw a lot of um, like things that could be fixed. So I originally went to school to try and do my part, originally thought lawyer, um, but you know, I'm not a good test taker. So that didn't work out very well. And then I got this job kind of doing like office admin stuff um, for this bilingual clinic that I still work at. It's not Compass. And I just started like doing a couple clinical hours more and more, um, then graduated with my bachelor's, decided to get my master's and just kept building up hours. It's very similar like pilots um, for us, at least in Oregon, every like step up is based on hours. So I had to reach for my milestone for certification, a thousand hours. And I just kept having more questions and kept being more interested. Um, and again, from the criminal justice system, I went to, you know, how men are treated in the criminal justice system and then how they're treated in mental health. But I definitely started way in criminology, criminal justice, and then made my way here. So then in your time and how long have you and Cole been together? Um, in March, it will be three or four years. I should know. That's really embarrassing. I think COVID kind of put a wrench in my we idea of time, year, but we've been so cohabitating, no living together for like over two years. Just kind of, yeah. Got it. So then was it through conversation with him? Like share a little bit about how, you know, what, what I mean, you don't have to get overly personal, obviously, yeah. but, but it, you know, in conversation, what was it that made your mind kind of go, wow, like there is something here that I want to sink my teeth in, so to speak, in terms of the mental health and the aviation field. Definitely. Um, so first of all, I just want to like make it public. Cole is not mentally ill um, by <laughs> any means. You're not the only person to kind of be like, so why are you like, how did you get into this? Um, no, he's really great. I think I read something about, you know, maybe a student pilot, um, you know, taking their own life. I think that's kind of how it started. And I was like, what resources are available to, to these folks as I was talking to Cole. And then it just kind of snowballed into all these hoops that I actually find very similar from the FAA or similar to like criminology and criminal justice. And like, you know, you have to figure out how to do it. And it takes a very special kind of brain to like read through the minute details. And then I just kind of was like, there, there is a need here. Um, and I did a lot of research, did a lot of ethical research on whether or not, you know, it was legal for me to practice. And I also did research and it seems like there's, there was nobody around. And I'm not saying I'm the only one, but my quick little internet search um, yielded an open spot. And it just seemed like a really good fit coming with working from veterans and men. And then also under like such a strict guise, like you see with you know, the criminal justice system, very easily transferable to, you know, the federal aviation stuff. Got it. Very, very good. I, I, I love it because I, and that really does lead me to my next question. And I think this is an important part of it. Um, let's define mental health because let's face it, it's a term that tends to have a stigma. Mm -hmm. um, it's a no-fly zone for yeah. You know, to, to take the aviation pun with it, especially for pilots. So, I mean, it is for a lot of people, but especially for pilots. So um, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about um, how the FAA gets involved, their medical and any of the, the protocols that go along with that. Definitely. So I love to start with a good definition. Um, you mentioned mental health. So there are two key um, definitions that I want us to keep in mind going forward. So we're going to be talking about mental health and mental illnesses. And sometimes those things get interchanged, but we're gonna go ahead and define those right now. The first one being mental health. 
think of it as like the rest of your body. You know how sometimes we get a cold, maybe you might like take some days off drink some soup, like orange juice, whatever gets your body up and running. So that is kind of an example of what we would see in mental health. Maybe you had a death in the family and you know, you're a little shook up about it and it's going to take a little bit, but you're going to keep going overall. It's like a cold or the flu or something where if you treat it, generally it'll go away. And sometimes even if you don't acknowledge it, it will go away. Um, whereas a mental illness is something that I like to compare to as like scoliosis or diabetes, where it's something you have to maintain, um, whether it's, you know, through like mindfulness or techniques that we practice in therapy. I know with pilots, we can't throw med medications at them. So that's something that I'm trying to put a lot of effort in into how do we get our brains to get some of that um, reaction in biology through non-medical, you know, pharmaceutical interventions. So basically mental health is something we all have, you know, it, it includes like getting enough sleep and eating right and balancing work and family and stress. Whereas mental illness might be something, what you would get maybe a diagnosis for like, you know, anxiety or a mood disorder or something like that, that you might have to address every day or else it will, you know, push you, you know, one way or the other. Well, that was a beautiful definition. It truly was. And that really opened my eyes. And I immediately had that aha moment of, ah, yes, makes total sense. I have a cold. I'm not healthy today. Yeah. In two weeks. I'm over it. I'm totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Versus yeah. I have a chronic disease. I have, uh, you know, a, a autoimmune that kind of yeah. thing. So that was, that was great. That was perfect. So Thank then you. let's talk about, um, what is reportable and what isn't and, and, and along those lines, when would something need to be and not, if that makes Definitely. sense. So, um, let's go ahead and start with what's reportable. I just want to preface this, um, this information I gathered straight from the FAA website. I talked to multiple colleagues that are leaders in the ethical community um, for mental health. So based on that and the FAA, which is where I'm getting this information, um, mental illnesses are what is reportable. But what's tricky is as a mental health you know, person through that lens, it's really easy to get a mental illness diagnosis sometimes. So, you know, it's much more rare for people to walk in and boom, get, you know, schizophrenia diagnosis or something like that. But something that doesn't always get talked about, and this is something I pulled from the FAA, was this little phrase called a mood disorder. So just like I was saying, you know, we get colds and, you know, generally we can bounce back. But in the mental health world, a mood disorder is measured by feeling any certain way, whether it's depression, anxiety, manic, for more than two or three months. So how long has this pandemic lasted? I know I have, you know, been, my emotions have shifted um, and more than two or three months. And so that is when it becomes really easy to get some of those diagnoses, especially when you are seeing a therapist that maybe doesn't see the gravity of writing that in your chart, um, because it is easy. A lot of people get mood disorders. In fact, if you've ever heard of um, SAD, the, the sunlight thing, it's yeah, Oregon. We get that a lot here. Yeah, exactly. So it's stuff like that that are mundane in like the mental health world, but carry such weight if that same word is in like the FAA world. And so it took a lot of research to kind of like pair up what, you know, held more weight in each part, I guess, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, it, it does. It does. Um, so when, I, I guess, when would something be reported? So, um, yeah, I, I mean, even talking to, I mean, we could even start with the pandemic. So, yeah. um, you know, certainly, I mean, for so many people, but certainly for the pilot community, there were so many things. There was a stress of, um, furloughs, pay yeah. cuts. Um, you know, is the airline, is the industry going to last? Um, yeah. how long are we going to be out of flying? Not to mention the disease itself, right. Or oh, the, yeah. the, the virus and separating itself. from family, you know, if you're stuck in another country, um, and yeah, then of so, course the whole, you know, mandates, vaccines, that's a whole nother issue. I don't want to get into we'll any of that it. other than to say it added a lot of stress, stress. for yes. a lot of people Whichever and the shortage of food out there, like trying to feed their body. I mean, it just goes on and on. So anyway, yeah, definitely a lot of like, that's what I noticed traveling, like restaurants were all really closed at like the airport. So it's like, all right, Delta cookies, here we go. Um, but what I was going to say is when we're talking about reportable, and this is one of those things I did have to do some research on, depending on your mental health person and the state that they practice, they have to know what the mandatory reporting laws are for the state that you are in. So for example, I have clients in Oregon, Washington, and then let's say Florida. It's my responsibility as a therapist to look up what the mandatory reporting laws, and I'll kind of define that in a little bit um, in a second, for my Washington clients and my Florida clients. So I'll give you guys a couple examples of Oregon mandatory reporting laws. So um, Oregon mandatory reporting laws, and they're pretty the same across the board, um, give or take a couple items on the list. But we're first things first is, um, you know, suicide is kind of a big ticket item, but this is where it really pays to have a trained mental health professional that can gauge immediate immediacy and imminency. So the way I tell clients is if I feel like you're going to, you know, take your own life within two minutes after getting off our appointment or our zoom call, then that's where we might have to have a conversation. If you tell me about past attempts or ideations, that's not going to raise as much of a concern. Um, and that's kind of therapist preference. Um, some people will pull the trigger a lot quicker in that situation versus some, I guess where I stay back is like more imminent and immediacy. Cause I do realize there's a lot of weight that comes behind a phone call, you know, to any authorities for something like that. Um, the other ones in Oregon might include if you have, um, like abused an older vulnerable adult or child and you name first and last names, that would be an example. So depending on wherever my client is, that's the first thing I start with is I can protect your confidentiality within these bounds. Um, so that is kind of how we go forward. And as far as, um, you know, mental health diagnoses, that's not really what I'm here to do. I don't consider myself someone throwing out diagnoses. I just want to like get people to be healthier mental health wise. Um, so that's kind of out of my range um, of services, I suppose. So that's not something that people have to worry about seeing me specifically. Yeah. Or, or a therapist in general. Yeah. It really is. You don't diagnose, correct? Some like there for me. No, I don't. Um, but that's something I would encourage folks, um, you know, men, pilots, pilot partners, ask your therapist or mental health prov provider, how are you trained to work with blank men, pilots, women, people of color, you know, folks of the LGBT community. And that's what I tell my clients is like, you're exchanging money for a service. You need to know that this person is the right fit for you and never feel guilty for asking, are you trained to work with this population? And if they say no, ask, 
Do you have a supervisor that you can talk to? You know, if you feel really strongly about seeing that person, ask, do you have a supervisor that you can have, you know, talk to about this? So I always encourage folks, like, never feel shy about asking your therapist's credentials, their values, you know, their the way they operate, um, because that stuff's really important. Okay, so I have a pretty pointed question that this okay. brings to mind. So um, is, is a person, is a patient, if you will, or a client, I'm not sure what you call them, um, patient or client, are they required to tell you what their occupation is? Um, client, no. I mean, never generally. Um, that's something I just see people as people. I obviously with the pilots, um, I like to know if, you know, you are an aviator, but I will tell people you can give me, you know, a fake name. I don't care. Fake company, whatever. Um, that's not really important. Um, circling back to when we're talking about mental health, that's mostly what I focus on. Um, obviously, I'm trying to figure out dispersing services. So right now I am focused um, on pilots, but as far as like, it's not necessarily a club that you can only get into, you know, right. That. And and yeah. I get that, but, but I, I guess what the, the path I'm traveling down with this is yeah. every time I go see um, a doctor or um, I I've gone to therapy before I fill out a form, right. No and my insurance too. typically yeah. covers a portion of it, which yeah. does end up requiring some disclosure of yeah. who, um, like in my case, it was my husband's, um, employer, yeah. an airline, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, so at, I, I'm just, I'm kind of visualizing ahead. Like at what point is your, uh, I don't want to say it, privacy for lack of a better word, but I think, you know, where I'm going with this, yeah. at, at what point do you end up disclosing? So I'm assuming if, if I were to, I, I'm a pilot, I'm saying yeah, I'm yeah. not, but if I were a pilot and I decided I wanted to see a therapist and I didn't want my insurance involved, I would, I could pay cash. Depends and on the therapist. Um, so that's something that like I mitigate, like, for example, if, if I get a payment from a client, it's not going to say counseling center, it's not going to have anything associated for me personally, and I can't say this across all boards, it's going to say Cora. Um, and, you know, I tell clients generally we do it like Venmo. I'm about to set up, you know, the square app so I can take cards, uh, generally in, in my other practice, you know, ab above ground, so to speak, I do see clients with therapy and, or with insurance and not insurance, but that's something that I'm offering just to, you know, pay cash. Um, and it'll show my name, you know, if, if someone's, credit were to get audited for whatever reason, it's not going to say compass counseling center on it. So, right. Yeah. But, definitely but on the, and on the other hand, even if it did, um, assuming that you didn't see anything alarming, like yeah. imminent suicide, for instance, mm -hmm. there would be no reason for you to feel a, a responsibility to report anything. They could be, oh, I right. mean, in terms of what the insurance company needs to know, they could be in there for, um, counseling, dealing with a child, uh, yeah. marital counseling, um, you know, dealing with, with a, a, a problem relationship with a parent, the mm -hmm. stress of being a caregiver. I mean, there's a lot of different things that might provoke one to seek therapy counseling. I don't know if they're interchangeable words that wouldn't ever really fall under that umbrella of, mm -hmm. um, mental illness or even necessarily mental health, I guess it is to an extent. Do you, do you understand where I'm kind of going totally with that? Get. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, um, I am not a hundred percent sure of, especially when we are talking about insurance. When I came to the decision to continue, you know, billing pilots through the insurance I do here in Oregon, or just, you know, do it in cash. That's a decision I had to make. And so, you know, for some folks, I might be inaccessible because I don't take insurance, but, um, I don't know. That's the thing is I don't know anything about insurance or how that might haunt them. I've read a couple things, but nothing I can like stamp and put my name on is a hundred percent, you know, on this podcast. So right. sure. Um, and I appreciate that. We don't want to yeah. just wing it. We don't want to leave exactly. anyone down a path of um, thinking this is how it's going to be everywhere. So again, as we stated, this is purely um, Cora's experience, mm-hmm. her views um, and, and her, her credentialed knowledge as well. I'm just facilitating this, um, as the podcast host and a curious pilot wife and, you know, all the rest of it too. So, um, would you have advice for someone who, who wants to seek therapy and wants to get whatever they're entitled to covered by insurance, assuming one covers it? Um, what steps would they take to, make sure that they're not setting themselves up for trouble with the FAA for lack of a better word. Yeah. And this circles back to, you know, this, this concrete quantitative evidence is like, I don't know, because if you go to each therapist, how does each therapist chronicle their notes? Is it in a public thing that, you know, someone could easily not like super public, but is it online? Is it paperwork? I know. Some people have you do like personality tests and evaluations like that. And so what if you answer one of those and you haven't even talked to your therapist yet and the computer generated like automatic score thing, put something, you know, some kind of illness or some diagnosis. Um, Unfortunately, there's no, from like a therapist standpoint, there's nothing universal. And so that's where I'm kind of torn between like, I can tell you what I do to protect my clients, but there's no guarantee that other people um, are going to do the same. So this is good because again, this show is basically just to raise awareness, um, give people a starting point. Certainly everyone has to do their own research. So a question uh, that comes to mind along those lines, and I know you're not going to know the across the board answer, but do you feel in your experience, um, that contacting, for instance, one's HR department, just to ask some basic questions, what does insurance cover? Um, what do I, and, and what do I need to know as a pilot in this realm? Would they potentially know any of that? Or is that just kind of a gray area too? That is my first instinct is just don't give them anything to look into anything. Um, but Honestly, my first instinct is I don't know, and maybe like put a pin in for episode two. Yeah, with the, yeah. Um, we sure, can there look you into go. that um, for sure. Because I don't want to just put my opinion. I want to know that you know people can find it. So for now, let's just maybe put a pin in that one. I love that. Okay, cool. That's perfect because again, we're not our our goal is just to raise awareness, get as much information out there, start the wheels spinning for some yeah. that you know can go down a certain path and begin to ask some questions. All right. Definitely. So I think, I think we've covered, um, that part of it. Let's talk a little bit because you and I chatted about this before. Tell us a little bit about the differences in, um, mental health symptoms for men versus women. For sure. Yeah. So we did kind of touch base and I think you did a really good job in kind of talking about like 
<clears throat> women are social creatures. Um, that's how we communicate. That's how we generally interpret things is we're really good at putting words. You know, that's why we can say, you know, one color of blue looks three different colors, but to a man, maybe it might just be blue. Um, so one thing is first going into it, it's important to know that men think more in feelings and women think more in emotions. So let me talk a little bit about that. So when I'm talking about feelings, I'm talking about aches and pains and maybe trouble sleeping and lack of appetite to where, you know, these men or whoever could be going through these things, but their first instinct is to not label it as anxiety or to not label it as depression. Whereas um, what I've found with women is that we're quicker and we're quicker to throw words at our experiences. And so it's easier to kind of start diving in there. So my first thing is, you know, our brains just work different. Um, it, it's almost unrealistic for us to expect that each side is going to be a hundred percent. I'm a therapist and I'm still learning how to communicate um, effectively with both those sides. So, um, so men sometimes, so for example, depression looks different. Um, that's one of the first things I'd like to cover. Depression looks different between men and women. Um, what we find with men is um, they are gonna, their depression is gonna, for lack of better words, have them just be really grumpy and kind of mean. And that's one of the signs. And I hear a lot of um, you know spouses or whatever come in and say, he's just like very upset and angry. And, you know, when you pair that with maybe low energy and lack of interest in things, to me, that screams, you know, depression, even though they're not coming out and saying like, I'm really sad and I don't feel like getting out of bed today. They're ask them, Hey, how, how are your muscles doing? How's your neck? You know, how's, how's your stomach? Um, so that would be a really good way. If you ever have trouble of trying to figure out, you know, what is, you know, what's my partner feeling ask how their body is, ask, start there. Um, and then with women definitely like love that vocabulary, um, uh, more social. So you're going to also see mental health impact them more socially. So, you know, depression, for example, more of a withdraw from socializing, um, more than men where they would just be kind of more in pain. And then another one, for example, is when we're talking about attention deficit disorder, I, I have ADD, like I'll put it out there. And people used to think I was kind of ditzy and maybe some listeners have, you know, been called ditzy or dumb, you know, whatever, but that's actually ADD. And that is different than ADHD, which is more of that hyperactivity. And that's why you see it more in men. It comes out in them like fidgeting with things and, you know, being like very tasking, but like with women, that same lack of attention manifests in like our mind going different places. And so, you know, if you've ever heard like, oh, you know, dummy or like ditzy, you might have ADD. You, you might. I'm not saying you do, but that's one of those things that like, no, girls aren't dumb or ditzy. They, they, it just shows up differently in them. Whereas, you know, boys or men, they're going to be more physically active and that's how it's going to show itself. Very interesting. Good. So those are some great cues for us to watch for in ourselves, mm -hmm. um, in our relationships with our partners, all of that. So um, one of the things that you mentioned is that your mission is to make health, mental health care more accessible, accessible for pilots. So yeah, yeah. tell us more about your work in this area and your contributions. Oh boy. Okay. So first of all, um, I started my Instagram, my pilot Instagram account in October. So I'm still like new to the scene. Um, 
But with that, I, I want to make it accessible in uh, a few ways. So the first one is for y'all have seen my page, it's nothing personal, it's mental health tips, it's, you know, things to look for tied in with some, you know, maybe some good memes now and again, but it's mostly pretty objective of, hey, you know, if, if you're anxious, here are some tips, or if you're having trouble sleeping, try these things. And I specifically tried to make them if you're away from home, or you don't have the same like, I don't have a heated or weighted blanket if I'm in a hotel room. I don't expect you to either. So what are things we can get those same effects when you're on the road? So that's number one through my public platform. Um, it's pretty no-nonsense business. And then also being available to pilots as a therapist. Um, my inbox is always open. I'm actually trying to expand, hire a couple of actually my clinical supervisors to work under me um, at Compass Counseling Center. We are hoping to expand um, just to be able to serve more pilots as I'm one person and I'm going to school. So um, I'm very honored by so much interest in it. So just know that like I am building up and including more people who have trained me to be where I am. So it would be an honor for them to like work with me. And then finally, you know, doing these podcasts and talking to people, I get lots of like random questions from people and they get their answer and then I never talk to them again. And that's a part of it is just, you know, getting information out there to make it accessible through social media, through in-person. Um, I think that's about the gist of where I am so far. It is December and I started in October. So we'll see. We'll see. That's great. Hey, you know, everybody gets a start, right? Definitely. Okay. So um, there appears to be a, a growing push for uh, pilot mental health reform. Yes. Talk to us about that. For sure. So um, obviously it's what I found in a lot of, um, you know, male dominated things. Mental health is not always like on the forefront. And so as far as my personal like contributions. I know there are some, you know, petitions going around um, to send to Congress that folks can sign. Um, but as far as what I'm doing is I'm trying to raise awareness in the mental health community. And I don't know if that's like been super tried yet. I know there's a lot of pilot support for that, um, but that's kind of like my next step. Um, especially, you know, I go to a really big school that's like really known um, for being a great social work program, like in the nation. And so maybe bigger picture is kind of bringing in more mental health bodies versus, you know, just aviation, because that has kind of been ignored. So if we can get the same advocacy that we see in other mental health, you know, areas such as criminal justice or, you know, folks of color, then I think it would be a lot easier to get the attention. So that's kind of my next step as far as um, my, you know, I guess, contribution to mental health reform. Um, I know there are lots of people doing it in many ways, but that's, that's where I am. That's my goal. That's great. So I know you mentioned pilots and men. Is mm -hmm. there any more um, specifics in terms of who you work with primarily and, and what can a pilot expect in working with you? For sure. So um, like I said, I started out in, you know, doing criminology. So I do see some folks still in the criminal justice system. Um, I'm one of the few Spanish speaking service providers in the state of Oregon um, with a specific kind of licensure that I hold um, to work with some of those folk. Uh, so that's something that's been also very close to me is being able to serve, you know, my Spanish speaking community. I'm Peruvian American. So that's always been something really important to give back. I think from the start, it's always been accessibility, whether it's to folks that can't find a Spanish speaking provider um, to pilots. 
And I kind of forgot your question and I'm really sorry. No, just what, what, <laughs> what, what they else can I'm expect. doing. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. they can expect in working with you. Okay. What they can expect. So, um, it's really different. I, I'm not very necessarily prescriptive. Um, I treat every client. I start with asking, how can I serve you? What, you know, push you to reach out to me. And then they'll either have an idea. I know some folks, um, you know, are more just, they benefit from hearing themselves think about it. Some people want like an action plan. So we'll case plan for them and kind of maybe attack some of that biological, you know, uncomfortable feelings. Um, so it really depends. There's, there's no like, you know, textbook or there's no like worksheet that I hand to everyone. Um, generally the first two sessions, maybe three, are just going to be me gathering information, um, figuring out what has worked for you in the past in your life in general, and then what can we build off of that. But definitely the first one to three appointments, I'm going to get to know you and figure out what works for you. And I always tell my clients, if I'm doing something that doesn't work, um, tell me, like, it's not the end all. I have so many other ways to approach it. And so that's another thing is like, if you see me or any other therapist and it's not working, don't feel shy to say, Hey, you know, I gave this a try for a couple of weeks. It, I don't think it's for me. Okay, great. We know what doesn't work. Like, let's keep going. Um, so that's kind of what they can expect. And then depending on the person and their needs, you know, it might be once a week appointment. It might be once a month. It might even be two appointments and I never see you again. It really depends on the individual. Um, and I'm very flexible with, um, I guess, what I offer. I'm not prescriptive, really, if that makes sense. It does. And it's so good to know that about, you know, being able to say, Hey, this isn't working or mm -hmm. um, what about this? Because, you know, I think that so many of us are conditioned to believe that in the medical scope of things, they're the expert and we yeah. just have to, you know, follow along. Um, but as you know, I mean, that, that really, I mean, it, it takes, it takes a team to heal a body, a mind, mm -hmm. whatever it is. And so you've got to be working in sync, I think, to, to make that fit for sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So how do people find you? Very fair. Well, um, first things first, um, flightdeck.therapist on Instagram. Um, I know I talked about, uh, growing at the start of the year, something I'm pondering is a website that doesn't exist yet. It might never, but right now, um, flightdeck.therapist on Instagram, um, is the best way to get to me. I can definitely leave my email, um, with you, Jackie. Uh, it's my last name twice. So anyone listening, K-R-E-S-I-N, K-R-E-S-I-N at gmail.com. Um, that's the best way to reach me. And generally what'll happen if someone sends me a message and they're like, Hey, I'm interested in setting up an appointment. Then we'll usually shift, you know, texting if that's their preference um, and get off the social media platform and go from there. Which I would say is probably best. I know a lot of people in this particular realm may not want to have any of that on social, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So um, obviously, as we started with, this is a delicate, sensitive, but important subject. We want to be discreet. We want to be sensitive to that and most specifically assist those people who need help yeah. um, to get that without wrecking their career. So what final thoughts or words of wisdom do you have? Um, I guess final thoughts. I don't know if they classify as words of wisdom, um, but I just want to share like, thank you, um, you know, Jackie and everyone else. I'm by no mean a self-made woman. I'm here because of my mentors. Um, and the folks, you know, on Instagram that have uplifted me, the, you know, mentors that I've had in school, 
you know, I'm going to give a shout out to Kurt, you know, Kurt, Jaime and Dr. B. They have been like my day ones with this flight deck therapy account. Um, and I wouldn't exist without them. And I wouldn't continue to exist um, without the support from the pilot wives and, you know, the meme pages and all the really nice people I've met um, through here. So I just want to like emphasize I would not be here without the support and that never um, is not on my mind. So I just wanted to say thank you to our listeners and to people that follow me on Instagram. That that's my biggest like takeaway is I'm, I'm here because of my community. Awesome. And um, if anyone in the community like has questions, I know maybe you listened and you've had questions. My inbox is always open. I know I'd love to touch base on some of the questions that we couldn't get to because I don't know the answers. Um, with you, Jackie, but just know my inbox is always open to folks. Well, and there are, you know, every, every show, every piece of information that's out there typically tends to create more questions. So that's yeah. just the way it goes. Yeah. And that again, leaves the opportunity for further shows. Definitely. But thank you so much for having me, Jackie. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on the show. Again, just to be clear, the views expressed here are not my own. Um, I am not a professional in the mental health world or in anything in the medical profession. I'm just a podcast host and a life coach and um, interested in aviation and a pilot wife and really care about the mental health of so many people. So check the show notes for more details and then do your own due diligence. Just be aware and take good care. If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.